Hi, I'm Miranda Gretton, and you're listening to Take a Moment with NCHC. In this new series of the podcast, I sit down with some more senior members of staff to find out how they made their way into their leadership roles. Hi, I'm Liz Cook. I'm the Director of HR and OD. Um, I'm an Essex girl by birth. I was born in Southend, and I can do the accent when, when needed. My parents moved to a small town in Suffolk called Woodbridge when I was a baby, so I grew up in Woodbridge. Trained as a nurse in Cambridge. Did my IPD qualifications in Surrey. So now I've moved around a lot. So why did you become a nurse in the first place? Well, I was actually born with a uh, cleft palate, so I had surgery at a very young age to repair a hole in the roof of my mouth and then went on to have 12 years of speech therapy. So I spent a lot of time in hospitals and they became very familiar and comforting places. And so I do remember going for my nursing interview and I went to Wadenbrook's Hospital where I applied to do my nurse training and I walked in and it smelt like a familiar place. It was that that antiseptic smell, which most people hated, I loved. And it felt familiar and it felt homely and it always has felt familiar and, you know, a good place to me. So I think it was, um, I spent a lot of time in hospital as a child. I was always very curious about it. I always wanted to work with people. And probably I'm at that, of that age, when I went to school, it was one of the few options that was given to you. So, and it's something that I've always been very proud of. Even if I didn't continue with it, I've always been very proud that that's where I started. Um, you must have had a good experience as a child then in the uh, hospital. Uh, uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I went a lot. It's probably wrapped up with other things. So um, my treatment was in a London hospital. So I used to go to Hackney every six weeks for a very long time. So it was a bit of a day out as well. So, <laughs> And my uncle was in the police force then and he used to pick us up in his police car and, you know, blue light us to Hackney. So all the things that you would never do now, you know. It, it was always positive and, and they were really good. So I remember from a very early age, I used to have to have a camera put down the back of my throat to see, you know, how my vocal cords were developing and how my palate was interacting with everything else. And it was explained so well. It was never, I mean, it's a horrible procedure, but it never felt like because it was, you know, so I saw really good interaction and, and good care. That's really interesting. Well, uh, so which explains for people who are listening, why I'm probably a bit nasal. I haven't got a cold. People often ask me, do you have a cold? And it's no, this is how I talk. Good to know. As I say, I trained as a nurse originally. I'd kind of done the, I qualified. I did what most people did in those days is that I did my six months surgical, my six months uh, medical, and then went traveling, worked in a bar in Spain for a while, um, came back and had a staffing job in a surgical unit and although it was very complicated and complex I realized I wanted something more and I didn't know what that more was so um, I, I took myself back to university to get more qualifications basically and looked at HR because it was a transferable skill uh, was never going back to the NHS ever worked for PNA for four years at the Port of Felixstone which was a very good training ground for a young HR female professional with 5,000 men um, and a very trade unionised old-fashioned culture. 
but I learnt so much. I learnt so much there. The Port of Felixstowe was sold by P&O to a Hong Kong-based company called Hutchison Wampower. And they gave my job to a man. So I knew I didn't have a future. So um, I came to Norfolk because it was the first job I could get. And it was for the Norfolk College of Nursing and Midwifery to transfer them from an NHS institution into higher education. So that's how long ago that was. So you you trained as a nurse, but then you yes. decided you wanted something more. So you you thought you'd go to HR. So why yes. did you say you'd never go back to the NHS? So, so rather interestingly, the bit I loved the most about my nurse training was community. And my long-term plan was to be a health visitor, but I just felt I didn't have enough life experience. So I didn't feel at sort of 22, I could train as a health visitor. I think it's very different now because I think the way that the careers are structured is very different. So I took myself off to university and, and, and a whole new world opened to me, a whole new different environment. And um, I, I kind of thought I was going to do this whole corporate cut and thrust type of world and I wasn't coming back to the NHS because I was going to you know run law firms and that kind of thing but of course I think there's something in your being that actually brings you back and actually I think you know if you if you cut me in half it, I, I you probably would see NHS written through it I care passionately about it and so I think I, I never planned to come back but something called me back I think is is how it happened interesting and so and Norfolk was you said it was it was the job there was a job yes, here yes yes so were you were, you weren't looking specifically for anything it was literally just like casting your net far yeah, away you would have I gone mean, anywhere it was, it was the early 90s there weren't many jobs around so you basically went for what was available um, and I knew I couldn't stay in a organization that was not going to recognize my qualifications because I was a girl and I mean it was it was that simple so have you faced discrimination in other jobs or was it just the one at the Port of Felixstowe? I mean, if you looked at the culture, it was hardly surprising. Um, but I was very young and very naive. So I just thought, well, I'd never come across it before. And and actually moving from a, a culture of the team that we worked in as nurses, it was a very strange and, and different culture. I've always said you know, nursing is an amazing job and what was one that you get instant feedback, absolutely instant feedback on what you do. There's a huge sense of camaraderie in a team. You know, you're working to a single goal and um, you walk into a lot of corporate environments and it's not like that at all. And um, so that was really surprising to me. But it was very commercially driven. It got me to understand a lot. The thing that really stood out for me that I hope I've brought back with me is everybody understood why they were there so whilst we were whilst I was there I was a very junior HR officer and my, my division was engineering so I would I was 23 with a you know a, a hard hat and a orange viz jacket walking into engineering shops you can imagine they just thought I was ridiculous <laughs> but we lost a major company so we lost a major client overnight and eight million pounds just went from the bottom line literally overnight and I, and I remember being in the toilets the next day and the cleaner was in there and they absolutely understood the implications of it absolutely got what it meant because they they saw their bit they saw their role in that you know that process and and, and it's a bit like you know the cleaner that says I put rockets on the moon at the Port of Phoenix so the cleaner absolutely understood the implications of losing eight million pounds I'm not sure in the NHS we are 
comfortable with money and comfortable with the concept of money. And I hope what I've tried to bring around that is that it's, it, that, you know, it is a real skill to understand it and to um, understand the implications of things. You know, when we lose the contracts, what does it mean? When we gain contracts, what does it mean? What does commissioning mean, you know, to a first line leader? What implications is it for them? So I hope in terms of the things that we've developed here that we we have those conversations. I think you're right. And I think that's really important for, for senior leadership, because if, you know, say, say you stayed a nurse and you, you sort of risen all the way through. And I wouldn't you've stayed have understood in the it NHS. at all. No, exactly. And I think it does take that fresh pair of eyes mm. sometimes to, to see that. And everybody working to the same goal, I think it's so important that whatever we do, any decision we make is because of a patient, is because of the mm. patient care mm. fundamentally. And it is quite easy to forget that when you're in a corporate environment, when you're in, mm. you know, support services and you're not on the front line, you're not in the community. It's, it is quite easy to forget that. Mm. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. What made you then want to move up into leadership? I don't necessarily know that it was an ambition. I think it is um, something that just happened. I, I love working with people. I love engaging with people. Um, I'm an extreme extrovert. So, you know, that sort of talking engaging is very much part of how I function and how I get my energy and so I, I don't know I, I think I'm a good communicator maybe that's why um, I kind of people sort of push me to the front I don't think I always stepped forward but a lot of the time you know you look around and there's no one else so you go okay I'll do it you know I did the job at the College of Nursing Midwifery finished I moved to the James Paget and I was there for a very long time had a very inspirational boss. He would say things like, I've got a great learning opportunity for you, which basically meant there was a really difficult project and could you go and do it? But I think if other people have the confidence that you can do it, then you believe it yourself and you can go. And I hope I've installed that with my own team in terms of you have the skills to do this. You absolutely do. Go and give it a go. You know, and we all make mistakes. You will learn from them. You know, I say failure is a really important part of learning. And you know, so I think it was more by default than a burning desire. Would you ever go back? I mean, well, it's difficult, isn't it? Because nobody really wants to go backwards. But well, do you love my, your job? I do love my job and I love working for this organisation. I, I think my team would wince because whenever somebody phones me up and asks me about maternity policy and I get it wrong, the team, you can see the look of fear in their eyes that I might possibly go back and be an HR business partner one day. Um, I really believe in business partnering. I think that's where I really learned my craft. And um, I think, you know, HR is 99% about relationship management and how you create relationships with, with people so that they have confidence in you and so that, you know, you can help them make the right decisions. But um, I came to NCHC on a six-week secondment and uh, it's 10 years this year. So <laughs> weeks isn't very long, is it? No, it was it was a it was an interesting time. And um Paul Cracker and I sort of reminisced about this when he left. I, I came at a very interesting time. NCHC was a very different place then. And it's been lovely to be part of its development and for it to become the great organization that I think it is. Obviously, you know, you would have been here then when we were getting the outstanding accreditation. Mm -hmm. So that is something to be hugely proud of. But what would you want to see change or evolve in the trust moving forward from this point, do you think? I, I think it's important that we keep growing and we keep developing. I think we still have a lot to do in terms of 
making sure everybody's voice is heard, making sure that we offer um, equality of opportunity, that we really focus on talent management and staff retention two years into a pandemic, how tired everybody is, and that we really focus on what we can do to help and support people. I worked in acutes for years and you are very isolated in your opinion in acutes because you're this big place and it's all very important and it's always high drama and everything is around a four hour wait and, and you know, how you manage your emergency services and all of that and, and you don't look outside and it was a very steep learning curve for me to come here and um, really understand that a hospital is a very short part of somebody's life and actually it's what you do for 95 of the rest of the time that's so much more important and I think you know we must continue to sort of push that message in terms of you know what we can do to keep people out of hospital is more important about when they go in. Do you find then from an HR perspective that the challenges are different at a community trust to an acute for the, for the staff? I- yeah, I mean, communication is hugely challenging, as you know, um, because in, in the acute hospital, you just walk down a corridor and go and talk to somebody. You know, here it's a 40 mile drive. So that's hugely challenging. Trying to get a consistent culture is very difficult. Trying to get people to remember who you are is is quite challenging because um, we always know when we do surveys, people think they're in the Norwich locality when they're in socks just because they work in Norwich. It's things like that, you know, in terms of, and, and do people care, you know, for a swap, because the most important thing to them is their immediate line manager. So there is something around that in terms of I really fundamentally believe that the most influential person in your working life is the person immediately above you. So it's really important that we give those people the right skills to make sure that they're the ones that are encouraging people or demonstrating to people that this is a good place to work. And do you think you feel like that because you've had inspirational leaders? Yes, I've had inspirational leaders and I've had terrible leaders. So I think you you never forget either, actually. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. (laughs) Um, We've talked about what being a leader means to you, Mm -hmm. but what does allyship mean to you? I think it's it's understanding other people's truths. And I know that sounds a bit banal in terms of you can never experience someone else's life. So you have to listen to what they're telling you and not make your own version of it. One of my best friends is gay and he and I met in the very early 80s at the height of the AIDS pandemic. And um, I'm trying to remember the name of that Channel 4 drama. It's a sin. It's a sin. So so we lived that. My, my other close friend uh, was a nurse on an infectious diseases ward and we lived that, you know, metal doors, trays, that was real. So, so my best friend didn't come out till he was 25. And I have watched him throughout his life go from that to being married with two children. And so it's, it shows the world does change. Um, so, you know, he and his partner had children through surrogacy. They are a loving family. And he never thought that would happen to him. So I think it is around listening to his view of the world rather than applying my view of the world to him. And and I do think, you know, as a large employer, as as a, you know, if you talk about an anchor organisation, it is our responsibility to to show that, you know, we are open to everybody and that, you know, when you come here, it's 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 who you bring to work that matters, not what you are. And I think that's what allyship means to me. So, Liz, just to finish off, how do you deal with a particularly challenging day? How do you wind down at the end of a day? 
<laughs> I, I was having this conversation yesterday with my board colleagues. So work for me is where I feel like I know what I'm doing. It's the rest of my life that's quite challenging. I, I'm a single parent. I have two children. My oldest daughter is now at university, but has had periods of significant mental health issues. And my son has a learning disability. So my son is, uh, has what's known as a mixed neurodevelopmental disorder. So my life outside of work is quite unpredictable, <laughs> whereas work is quite predictable. But when I look to unwind, um, I like to run, I, I like to exercise, I love to cook, I love to socialise, obviously, I'm a, I'm a, I have a, a wider circle of friends. So the pandemic was interesting, I did a lot of Zoom calls, and I, I like to laugh. I think laughter is very important, so I, I do things that you know, I try and find the joy and stuff. Thank you for listening to Take a Moment with NCHC. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please visit the podcast intranet page to leave a comment and for details of our other episodes. You can also follow NCHC on all social media channels. <laughs>